0: is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a Ph.D. in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Today's question asks if I can review the Chi Omega murders that were committed by the serial killer, Ted Bundy, in 1978. Now, Ted Bundy, of course, was a real individual, so it's important to note from the beginning here that I'm not diagnosing him or anyone else, but rather just speculating on what could have been going on in a case like this. So we look at the Chi Omega murders, and we see that they're quite a bit different than the other murders that Ted Bundy committed. And he committed a lot of murders, of course, that attracted a lot of attention in different places like Washington, Utah, and Colorado. But the murders in Florida, the Chi Omega sorority house, specifically at Florida State University in Tallahassee, really stand out quite a bit. These murders seem to break in terms of his M.O., like he changes his style. And there's some other factors here that speak to potential mental health issues and really give us more insight into what he was doing and maybe what he was thinking kind of toward the end of his time as a serial killer. So I'll go through the timeline of the Chi Omega murders and then look at some of the behavioral and mental health issues that may have been at work, specifically from what we see in this case. Now when we look at Ted Bundy's M.O., we do see that he did spend time on college campuses. So him kind of ending up at Florida State University in Tallahassee and being near the different sororities, including Chi Omega, that part wasn't really unusual. But there were many unusual features in the Kai Omega murder case. We see, for one thing, that not many people who were physically attacked by Ted Bundy actually survived. We see that Carol DeRanch survived, of course, by her escaping. This resulted in charges for Ted Bundy, and he was convicted of kidnapping her. And we see that Kathy Kleiner and Karen Chandler survived. They were in the Kai. Chi- Omega House and they were assaulted as part of Ted Bundy's crime. And Cheryl Thomas, who lived a few blocks away, she survived as well. So three people out of four that were physically attacked by Ted Bundy were tied in here in Florida, two specifically at Chi Omega. Now we see that there are other people that claim that Ted Bundy attacked them, and really we don't see any additional evidence other than them saying they were attacked. So Many are skeptical about their claims. I don't know. I've looked at their claims, but it's really impossible to tell. They could have been victims of Ted Bundy and escaped and then not talked about for many years and then talked about it later, but I just don't know. I think certainly it's possible, and it's also possible that crimes were attributed to Ted Bundy that he didn't commit. So there's a lot of unknowns when it comes to Ted Bundy's behavior. We believe he murdered somewhere around 30 or 35 women, but some Estimates are as high as 100, so there's a lot of gray area when looking at his criminal history. So taking a look specifically at the timeline for the Chi Omega murders. Again, as I mentioned, Ted Bundy was active in Washington, Utah, and Colorado. He escaped custody in Aspen, Colorado, and was apprehended, and then later escaped custody again from a jail in Glenwood Springs, Colorado. So he escaped custody from a courthouse initially, then a jail, and this escape took place on December 30th, 1977. Ted Bundy was 32 years old. Now, eight days later, he was taking a room at a boarding house that was just five blocks away from the Chi Omega House in Tallahassee. So he escaped from Colorado with really just clothes that he took from the jail and maybe some money or other items. It's unknown. And he made his way to the Midwest and all the way to Florida, and rented a room at a boarding house. All this in eight days. Now, a lot of the time when we talk about the Chi Omega murders, when we hear different stories about the murders. The story kind of starts with Ted Bundy approaching the Chi Omega sorority house. But really, the story starts a little bit before that. So, the murders took place on January fifteenth, 1978. On January fourteenth, late, we see that Ted Bundy was at a club... Named Sherid's at that time it was called Sherid's, and it was right next to the Chi Omega sorority house. And at that club, a few events happened, which I think are pretty interesting and speak to the mental health and behavioral aspects of this crime, and maybe to what Ted Bundy was thinking at the time. So again, he was at this club, and at this club, several of the Chi Omega sorority sisters hung out. And some worked there. And we know two of the victims that he would murder that night, Margaret Bowman and Lisa Levy, were there at that club earlier. They were there at the time, potentially, when Ted Bundy was there. Now, it's really not known if Ted Bundy encountered them, but they were there that night. And again, he was there, so it's possible. Now, we do know that several other of the sorority sisters were at that club, and they do remember Ted Bundy. One of them worked there and remembers serving Ted Bundy at the bar that night. And we also see that a few others remember him, and he kind of stood out because they considered him much older. Again, he was 32, and most of them were in their early 20s. Now, it's interesting because a few reported that he was scanning the club and looking at all the women, and that made them feel uncomfortable, so he was, like, staring at them. And also, one of the sorority sisters, he asked her to dance, but she was holding a drink, and he took it from her and put it down. And she remembers remarking to friends, saying, Look at this guy I'm getting ready to dance with. He looks like an ex-con. So that's interesting, because he had been convicted of kidnapping, and he was a fugitive from justice. So these abilities for these women to see Ted Bundy and recognize that something was off were really there. They were intact. Something was different. The way he was staring, the way he was looking, the way he was behaving... The fact that his age difference was there, but it was around a 10-year age difference, so I'm not sure how unusual that was, but they reported it was unusual. But either way, he stood out, and he stood out as somebody who was potentially dangerous. One last encounter at that club before the Chi Omega murders that I think was somewhat interesting. The police interviewed a woman who reported that there was a man outside the club, and the man asked her if she was a member of the Chi Omega sorority. And she was not, and he responded by saying, you're lucky. Seems unusual, and the police did believe that this was Ted Bundy. It kind of makes sense that it would be. Again, a strange thing to say, considering that Ted Bundy would commit these murders just a few hours later. So now we move to January 15th. And the time isn't really clear perfectly, but we think it was around 2.45 a.m. If you look at most of the sources, that's about the time that Ted Bundy made his way to the Chi Omega sorority house. Now we see that when he arrived at the house he went out to the back, and he picked up a log. Some have referred to it as a tree branch, but either way it was a piece of wood. And he noticed that the combination lock on the door was broken. So he made entry into the sorority house fairly easily. He walked to the second floor hallway, and he made his way into the first room he would enter that night, and this was occupied by a woman named Margaret Bowman. She was sleeping. Ted Bundy hit her with the log and then strangled her with a pair of pantyhose. He then crossed to the other side of the hallway to the room of Lisa Levy, and he attacked her, again hit her in the head, strangled her, and sexually assaulted her. Now, after this, he crossed the hall again and went into a room that was occupied by two people, Kathy Kleiner and Karen Chandler. This was around 15 minutes later from when he entered Initially, upon entering the room, he tripped over a trunk that they kept between the beds. But then he regained his balance, and he struck Kleiner and Chandler several times with the log. But before he was able to murder them or do anything else, the room filled with light. Now, we hear different accounts as to what caused this. We see that there was another sorority sister returning with her boyfriend, and it might have been the car headlights that filled the room with light. And there's another report that somebody was using the bathroom down the hall and turned a light on. So whatever happened to cause the room to light up, it did light up, and Ted Bundy began to flee. As Ted Bundy was exiting the Chi Omega sorority house, the woman who had returned with her boyfriend, again around 3 o'clock, saw him. He was wearing pantyhose over his head. But she got a look at his profile, and she was actually the only eyewitness that would testify At the trial. So he left the Chi Omega sorority house and he continued looking for victims. He went four blocks to the west and one to the south and found an apartment occupied by a 21 year old student named Cheryl Thomas. He climbed through the window and attacked her, hit her with a log, broke her jaw, and caused other nerve damage. She survived though because her neighbors grew concerned. They heard the noise and they approached and they were knocking and calling on the phone. So Ted Bundy fled and he left the pantyhose mask and the log behind. So just in that one morning, just in the time of about an hour, maybe even less than that, Ted Bundy murdered two women and attempted to murder three others. Now, there was one more victim in this case that we know about that I want to mention because it really relates to the PTSD, potentially the PTSD-type effect of this, and the mental health effects in general of this. There was another sorority sister named Valerie Duke, who was not attacked, but she was in the room right across from Lisa Levy's. And during the attack, she didn't hear anything happen, but of course, after the attack took place, she saw the victims, and it was a traumatic experience. She dropped out of school on the first anniversary of the attack, and four months later, she died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. So this would have been before Ted Bundy's trial. Now, there's no way to know what happened with Valerie Duke. It could have been seeing the aftermath of this destruction, of these attacks, survivor's guilt, wondering why she didn't hear the attacks, which I think happened to a number of the sorority sisters. The walls were thin, but Ted Bundy managed to stay very quiet during the attacks. So a lot of factors could have been at play there, but either way, it's another tragedy, and it was directly caused by Ted Bundy. So after Ted Bundy escaped from the Chi Omega murder scene, he went on to kill a 12-year-old named Kimberly Leach, who lived in Lake City, Florida. This happened on February 9, 1978. He was arrested on February 15, 1978. He was pulled over in a traffic stop, and the police officer had to wrestle him and take him into custody by force. This was in Pensacola, which was around 200 miles away. He was driving a stolen car at that time. Now moving forward to July of 1979, we see that Ted Bundy was convicted for killing Lisa Levy and Margaret Bowman and assaulting the other three women that night. Well, on February 7th, he was convicted of killing Kimberly Leach. And, of course, he received a death sentence as a result of both of those series of convictions. So now moving to kind of the mental health and behavioral components, we see kind of the facts of the case, the timeline, what happened right before the murders, during the murders, and what happened afterward. Well, I think the first significant mental health issue to bring up, potential issue, would be post-traumatic stress disorder. We see that there were a number of women in the sorority house that night, in the Chi Omega house, and there were many consequences for them, not just the victims directly, the ones that Ted Bundy assaulted, but the ones that were there who had to see the aftermath of that assault. Again, a lot of consequences, a lot of loss, terrible memories, loss of safety, survivor's remorse, and we see their stories. I found many of their stories on the Internet, and they're really just heart-wrenching. So Ted Bundy's actions caused a number of people to be victimized. He hurt a lot of people in these murders, and many of the women that were there that night that weren't assaulted still felt the effects many years later, and some still feel the effects now. And of course, the three survivors, one of course who was not in the Chi Omega house, they all have suffered tremendously as well. So Ted Bundy's actions in terms of just the mental health component, just the effect he had on others' mental health, was really unbelievably powerful. It was just a terrible effect he had on so many people. Now, in addition to this, we know that Ted Bundy acted as his own attorney, which gave him the right to depose everyone in the Chi Omega house. And he called them in one by one for interviews. Some of them were interviewed multiple times, and some of the interviews lasted for hours. So it wouldn't be surprising to me if many of those women were re-traumatized by Ted Bundy in the course of his trial. Now, we don't know if he chose to be his own attorney deliberately just to do that, but that was one of the consequences of him representing himself. So now moving on to the behavioral aspects and potential mental health aspects for Ted Bundy. Again, specific. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in-depth elic murdoch who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife maggie
1: and son paul that story continues to evolve and we will cover that plus we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the south
0: please join us on impact of influence and give us a follow on the impact of influence facebook page hello this is gary shahoe welcoming you to check out the french history podcast the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. To the facts in the Chi Omega murder case. Well, we see here that he did break from his M.O. He typically would lure victims, sometimes with a fake cast on his arm, and he would disengage if things got too risky. So if somebody wouldn't come over to, like, his car, he would typically disengage. Now, in the Chi Omega murders, what we saw is he broke somewhat from his M.O. So this one, at the time of the murder, didn't involve charm. It didn't have an appearance component or verbal communication. When I say charm, I'm talking about the superficial charm that we see with psychopathy, and of course it's theorized that Ted Bundy had some psychopathic characteristics. What we see instead with the Chi Omega murders is he goes directly to sheer rage and brutality, but I'll talk about whether it was really rage or not in a few moments. Now you could make the argument though that there was still a charming component because he was at the club. He danced with at least one of the sorority sisters and he was watching them and kind of picking out victims. So again, potentially there was contact with the victims before or with people that would have been in the sorority house at least, even if they weren't people that would eventually become his victims. So again, the argument could be made there that there was a social component to his behavior prior to the murders. This brings up a few other questions as well, though. Like, did he go to the club with the intention of finding victims? Was he maybe on the fence and he just needed that motivation to see the women that he may attack, which would make his fantasies or his plans a little bit more concrete. It's really not known. It's not known kind of how he planned this murder. It could have been that he knew he wanted to kill somebody that night no matter what, and he just started at the club and looked for victims. Or it could have been that, of course, he was always having that potential of killing somebody, and he was at the clubs willing to find victims and willing to leave without committing a murder. Now, because he mentioned specifically to that one individual that they were lucky not to be a member of Kai Omega, it makes me think he kind of went there with the intention of picking out victims, and then, of course, he only went just one door down to attack the people at Kai Omega. On the other side of this, we see that he didn't bring a weapon. He found the weapon at Kai Omega, that log. That's what the police believe, anyway. And he didn't bring a clear way to break in. It's not really clear that he had some sort of device like a crowbar or anything to break in. Again, the lock was broken on the back of the Chi Omega sorority house. Now, he was still aware that he was at risk, at some level anyway, because he had a disguise, a pantyhose mask, and he did bring that with him. So that shows that he was at least to some degree prepared to commit a murder. And as I mentioned before, he fled when the lights appeared, and he also fled from Cheryl Thomas's apartment So, again, he was aware of that risk. He was aware that he didn't want to be caught, and he wasn't just going into this not taking any precautions. He was trying to commit these murders and get away with it, which more or less contradicts the theory that he was kind of in a blind rage, where he was just going about and being completely barbaric without any consideration for consequences. Undoubtedly, he was barbaric, but it still seemed like he had some level of control. Now, another way he kind of broke from the M.O. is he killed more than one person. Typically, Ted Bundy killed one victim at a time. At least that's what we believe, based on what we know he did. Here we have this sense with the Chi Omega murders, which is actually pretty frightening, that if Ted Bundy had not have been stopped, if he wasn't scared off by the lights, that he would have just killed many more victims. He would have just kept killing these sorority sisters until there was no one left. He seemed to have an unlimited amount of energy, and he had the ability to kill them, and he could have just kept going. It's really actually quite frightening. He killed in a manner that was quiet enough not to be detected, and again, he just could have kept going. So this is really, again, inconsistent with his ML. He's killing one victim at a time, typically. Once he kills them, of course, he had a whole ritual he performed after that. But once he killed them, that was it. He moved on to the next person. He didn't move on to the next person immediately after, but with Chi Omega, he did. Now, to speak for a moment about the rage theory. I mentioned earlier that a lot of people believe he was in a blind rage, and he just went throughout this sorority house with this log, kind of hitting people, murdering people, not really understanding what he was doing or having a lot of intentionality, but just rather not having any control at all. Now, before, in his life, he was described as emotionally stable by people. We see people in Washington who describe him that way. And we do believe that he had what we call low neuroticism, which is typical of psychopathy, meaning he wasn't easily angered or easily made anxious or depressed. So what we see with Chi Omega is this kind of mystery whether he was in a rage or whether he was calm. Was he methodical or did he lose control? Or was it some combination of both? He expended so much energy in the attacks, they were just physically demanding attacks, that one is kind of led to believe that he was in a rage. But then we see other evidence that suggests he may have been calm. For example, there was an eyewitness that reported seeing him walking from the Chi Omega house to Cheryl Thomas's apartment. Of course, that eyewitness didn't know where he was going. But he appeared to be hiding the log, and he wasn't wearing the mask. We know he was wearing the mask when he attacked Cheryl Thomas. So he wore it. And during the Chi Omega murders, he took it off while he was walking and again tried to hide the log and then put it back on to attempt to murder Cheryl Thomas. That doesn't seem to be behavior of somebody kind of in a rage, somebody who's lost control. Rather, he was being deliberate at all the different points here throughout the murders. Now, it's worth noting that with neuroticism, neuroticism has a number of facets, and Ted Bundy could have been low in like anxiety and depression and vulnerability, but been high in anger. So, neuroticism, all the facets don't have to move in the same direction together. So if somebody's low in a few facets, they can still be high in others. Now, the next kind of area around potential mental health concerns that's been brought up specifically about the Chi Omega murders is the argument for mania. Back then, they called mania manic depression. That's what they called the disorder. Now it's known as bipolar disorder. And the defense team hired a psychotherapist who diagnosed Ted Bundy, with what we would now call bipolar disorder. Now, this would explain the tremendous amount of energy that he would have had to expend during these murders, but he was only 32. So he was young, and it makes sense that he would be physically strong. But at the same time, he escaped from jail just eight days before, and he had to lose a lot of weight to fit through an opening in his jail cell. That's how he escaped. So he seemed to have a lot of energy for somebody who just lost a lot of weight like that. But really, we don't know for sure. We do know that mania can have an irritable component. So a lot of people say, well, it can't be mania because he would have been really happy. Mania can present as very irritable as well, especially if the mania tends to last. But we see some evidence that perhaps he wasn't manic, too, and I'll talk about that. Now, bipolar disorder can have a psychotic component, and we see throughout Ted Bundy's criminal career that some people said that he said that he had heard voices, the voices told him to commit crimes. So it's possible he had psychotic symptoms, and it's possible those symptoms were related to bipolar disorder. Now another possible disorder I've seen kind of thrown around, specifically talking about Kyle Omega murders here with Ted Bundy, is schizoaffective disorder. And schizoaffective disorder is really schizophrenia together with bipolar disorder symptoms. So they're kind of merged together, and we call it schizoaffective disorder. I don't think we ever really get a clear picture here with Ted Bundy in terms of schizoaffective disorder. Schizoaffective, the component that would be different in terms of schizoaffective versus bipolar, would be the negative features, the negative symptoms, and some other things, So, like flat affect. But this could be explained through psychopathy. So I'm not sure there's a real strong case for schizoaffective disorder. And as I mentioned, I'm not sure there's really a strong case for bipolar either. But I think you could make a better case for bipolar than schizoaffective. I think you can make a strong case here for what we call factor one psychopathy. So personality traits like being callous, unemotional, being manipulative, having superficial charm, and being a pathological liar. Factor one psychopathy has some overlap with antisocial personality disorder. So a number of people who have factor one psychopathy who commit crimes do get diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. Now, this doesn't explain the amount of energy he had, But it could be that he was just very motivated. I think probably specifically motivated toward sexual gratification because I believe that's what he obtained by committing these murders. I think that was his motive. Now, before I talked about the mania and I talked about how I'm not really sure he was manic at this time, if we look to the club, if we look to his behavior at the club right before the murders, he didn't appear manic there. Again, dancing with one of the women there and kind of stalking and staring at people That's not consistent with mania. So he may have had bipolar disorder, but either way, he didn't appear to be manic during these murders. So stepping back a bit from the potential mental health aspects and the behavior, no matter what Ted Bundy's characteristics were specifically, or what diagnosis he may or may not have had, the idea of Ted Bundy is quite frightening to a lot of people, and I think specifically because of the behavior we see with the Chi Omega murders. There's this idea that someone can be fit enough to kind of survive in society, to fool people. Ted Bundy made people believe that he was a good person, that he was a nonviolent person, that he was regular or normal. Although some people, of course, did not believe that, but many did. So he was able to fit in, able to get along with people to a fairly substantial degree, but also had the capability to commit barbaric and heinous crimes. So that's what's really scary about Ted Lundy, and specifically, I think, frightening about the Kyle murders. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment
1: purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. True Terrors of Horror. Bizarre happenings, unexplainable events, on our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience.